Hey, it's Ali. And Supilo. Hey everyone, it's uh, Ali and Apile, and we're doing our podcast on serial entrepreneurship. And today we have Victor. Hey everyone. Hey, how you doing Victor? I'm doing very well. How about you guys? Fantastic, fantastic. I think we've been very excited to just like, um, you know, get down and dirty with this uh, podcast with you. A lot of insights, I'm sure. Yeah, this is this is going to be good. We um, Before getting started, I just wanted to say uh, there's a lot of work that gets put into each of these podcasts and... Victor, I, I normally do not compliment our guests this early on, but a uh, superb job on the preparation, <laughs> on the documents. Dude, it was it was awesome. Like reading through that, I was like, this is going to be great. Yeah, did I write potentially them? I'm a very logical and system oriented person. No, but it came across that way. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I no, think it, it made you look like one, actually. No, 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 no. I think, I think, I think, I think that's what just happened there. Uh, no, but it's, it's awesome. I mean... <laughs> I like you it. Know, I like it. Does happen? Sure. Like does happen? So, Victor, you're the co-founder or the founder of Trustshoring. Is that uh, right? The founder. The founder. Yes, uh, that was a sole venture. Is what's that like, man? What's that like? Just running a sole venture. Actually, quite refreshing. My previous business, at some point, we were four co-founders, and uh, while I did like that, it led us to split up early on after about eight months into the venture. Only two of us were left. And that ended in a pretty ugly way. So now that I'm running pretty much solo with two other people who are all remote, I do sometimes miss talking to people, but uh, I get my social activities somewhere else. And being a sole founder, I find it kind of refreshing for now. And I like it to be able to decide on your own. Oh, nice. Nice. Was it obvious for you? Did it make sense for you to start off like that? I remember that after we initially split up in the previous business, and it wasn't running very well anyway, at that point at least, uh, I also decided I probably have to leave because I couldn't support myself. So I went on my own rather because I had to make a living. That was quite a few years ago. Initially, I actually even took a job again was a really good idea because I was able to refocus. I was able to let go a bit. I didn't have to worry about income at all. And then the business just grew from doing what I like doing and learning stuff. And also when you have co-founders, especially in a phase where you kind of need to promise results or want to keep to a deadline, but they're not possible yet because you have to learn. That pressure in a way can demotivate you even. Whereas when I was alone afterwards and some people need that, like the commitment, but um, I found it very refreshing and good to just be able to experiment, to do things that people would have said, oh no, don't do that. It has no use. And I knew that even, but it was a good learning and it gave me insights that I wouldn't have got otherwise. Nice. What are some of these insights that you, that it gave you? And then specifically about the agency work and stuff you've done in the past, right? Or just your overall work experiences? My current business is in sales and I was in sales before as well at the previous business. Just I didn't know anything about sales back then. I wanted to learn it, but the pressure was to learn sales and to get results overnight. And everyone who's in sales or at least in high touch sales knows that it doesn't work that way. So actually uh, leaving the company 
gave me the possibility to not have to promise results by next month, but to start building my network, to start reading, to start just attending classes or workshops on sales and learn what that is about and understand sales and build all these assets that take time. But once they're there, I was able to actually come back and provide quite a lot of value to that same business. Nice. I mean, that's quite interesting there because I guess, yeah, it doesn't take overnight. It does take time for somebody to establish a new routine in terms of business, new structure, etc. So I think it's quite interesting you mentioned that. Now, in terms of are there any specific roadblocks, for example, to watch out for when establishing a new business again? Did you learn new things? Did you pick up new skills? I mean, what can you give our audience? What can you tell them? When starting a new business, at least for me, it was in a way. What would it be? For example, you mentioned that you went to a lot of seminars, you went to a lot of events. Would you class that as something that obviously well, it depends? Look, it depends uh, what the specific person's roadblocks are, I guess, right? Because some yeah. people are constrained by money, some are not, some are constrained by yeah. their surroundings or, yeah, or yeah. family. Yeah. So I would say look for something within your abilities, right? I would, and at least I tried to find something that's complementary to the lifestyle I want to live versus not go down paths that have obvious roadblocks. For example, I believe everyone, especially entrepreneurs, have a long list of ideas that they could potentially do, or we, we're constantly looking for problems in everything we do. When we go shopping, when we ride a cab, when we do payments, we look for problems and how we can solve them. And sometimes we have great ideas and would love to execute on them. But I guess founder market fit for me is just as important as product market fit. So I would watch out not to create barriers myself by Entering a market, even with a good idea where I still believe every idea is bad until executed correctly, but a potentially good idea may still have a lot more roadblocks for me than for someone else. So I'd essentially, when starting a new business, try to go a path of least possible roadblocks, at least if it's bootstrap, which is what I really like most of the time. Yeah, I think uh, you've answered it there, Ali. So when you think about like bootstrapping a business like trust shoring, how does one mm-hmm. bootstrap that business? And if I fathom a guess, is it more, I'm going to go and try to get the sales first and convince somebody that, I guess just for the audience, so, so trust shoring, do you want to kind of give like a 30 second elevator pitch of what it is? Absolutely. So at trust shoring, we help software startups launch and scale by matching them to a tried and trusted tech team from Eastern Europe. So say someone has troubles finding developers, they come to me and I will hook them up with pre-vetted ones and trusted teams from Eastern Europe. It is a two-sided market, right? So actually you could view trust sharing since we do it, we manually match people to tech teams. You could view it as a sort of upwork or a sort of marketplace. So you could actually say that this is the bootstrap version of a marketplace because you're not going on some website and if you start it out, there's just nothing. At least one side is always lacking, right? So I would always go out and look for one side first, make connections, and then provide a service, not a digital marketplace, which promises the other side to connect you. And this is exactly what I have done. This way, you mitigate the chicken and egg problem. What first? Uh, 
Do you have an empty platform and first put in the vendors or do you first look for customers? So this is what I think bootstrapping of a two-sided marketplace looks like. So if I was to start a business like this, it would be fairly hard for me to find the right tech talent. And I think it'd be fairly hard for me to find the right individuals to sell to. And I think those are kind of the two challenges on each side of the market. Is that kind of correct? Oh, yes, totally, totally. And uh, I definitely worked long enough on, on both of those. I would say the tech side wasn't this hard. I mean, it was hard, but not uh, at the point when I started that business because I've been in the industry for almost eight years, I guess. And my previous business, the one with the many co-founders, was actually a web agency in Ukraine. So that's how I kind of got into the field. I'm a developer myself. Did the classic thing of going from developer to try to outsource to build my own agency somewhere else. And doing that, I, I grew a network. I understood how market works, how the business works, how outsourcing works, how to vet people, who to trust. And also I traveled a lot. Just this year, I was over a month in Ukraine, over a month in Poland, over a month in Serbia. And you get to know these people. It's not just Skype. It's being there physically, uh, meeting them in office, talking to them, talking to their clients. This is how I understood which partners to work with on the tech side. Whereas the client side, that took a lot longer. As I said, I'm in sales technically. Now I'm in sales. But years ago, I, I didn't even know what sales was. So this was a very hard learned skill and process. And Doing that, I also built a network personally. It was all, uh, you know, doing the things that don't scale, meeting people, becoming friends with them, doing networking. And now we're at the point where we're getting inbound leads and referrals every day, but definitely didn't start like that. Question for you really around the tech side. You know, my background is tech and my current business I'm working on, I'm a CTO. Ali is a product manager. Mm -hmm. And why do you think salespeople struggle to find a good tech partner you know do you think that's a problem do you see it as a problem is it something that you've sort of seen in your business currently why, why startups uh, struggle to find good uh, good good tech people yeah you're talking specifically about eastern europe or generally no just in general uh, in i general. find that i find that you know i speak to a lot of you know startups or a lot of entrepreneurs and the common thing or theme that I seem to see is like, look, I'm looking for someone techie. Why do they struggle to actually find someone in technical? I mean, if you're a salesperson, surely you should be able to sell, you know, to somebody like, hey, look, I'm working something incredible. Let's do it together. But it seems like there's a lot of um, a lot of people struggle. I don't know. Is that something that you see? Yeah, totally. So <laughs> it's a funny situation, unfortunately. Uh, tech people are so in demand that they can absolutely choose at this point who they're going to work with. And um, funnily enough, most or many non-technical people, especially starting out, they don't understand the motivation of a, of a tech person, what they want, what they need. Some tech people will still be motivated by money, right? So you can always offer a high enough salary and someone will work for you. But at this point, also in Eastern Europe, also in Ukraine, you see it all over the world. It's such an international market that is so in demand that basically 
developers dictate the terms and um, many people don't understand what tech person actually wants uh, in terms of fulfillment or many tech people just want to work on good code and not take over someone's project that you outsource for five bucks an hour. And uh, people who make decisions like that early on uh, need to understand that they'll have probably to rewrite it, if not for scalability, uh, because nobody's going to work on it. And uh, that's what, what you know, non-technical people often don't understand. But do you think that's a problem of a non-tech? Or do you find that it's just lack of understanding in terms of what's actually required? I mean, what would you say? What would you think it's lack of? In, in terms of... Yeah, in terms because I think, you know, it's quite interesting you mentioned that because actually, from a technical point of view, I like to code in a different way, in a certain way. I like to think in a different way. But when you have a non-techie person, the way they think is slightly different. It takes a skilled, you know, product manager to prepare documentation in a good way. Uh, many people uh, that are non-technical also don't understand how to explain what they want uh, to a tech person. It's a constant back and forth. Whereas I think we both know that from, I used to have a developer job, you're working as a CTO. When requests come in from whatever business-oriented stakeholder, it takes some back and forth to get to the point where it actually can be developed, right? And not every technical person can or is willing to go into that discussion because they're not a good consultant because that's a difference right being a good consultant versus a good developer is still a big difference that's why actually in my business when i match non-technical people i will mostly never match them directly to developers but mostly to a small dev shop that has a good consultant a good development process everything already set up because non-technical people struggle with all of it and most of the time, I know that if I if I match them to a developer directly, the whole relationship wouldn't work out. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. I hear that. I mean, I'll lead you up point to that. Being a product manager yourself, <laughs> he's giving you a good shout out. I totally think it's true. I think I think product managers have a a very strong role, but only in certain situations. I think I think when you're early on, if it's a CEO CTO relationship, you don't really need a product person because the CEO kind of takes over. But it's when you really need that crystal clear clarity on what you need to work on. That's when a product manager really uh, takes a stronghold. I'm guessing, Victor, with your skill set, you're both the salesperson to these companies that want a developer or want a team of developers. But you're also kind of a product manager in the sense that you would outline the requirements and understand the tech skills and the tech stacks that are needed and actually sell to the, the companies in the right way. Is that is that kind of fair? Yeah, of course. Well, I I do consult a bit here and there. It's generally not something that I that I offer as a as a paid service because I don't usually join projects later on. I I really just do the matching. But when I see that there is a need, uh, I definitely match to a team that that has all these skills. Stepping back to what you said that early on, it's probably better to just have the CEO and a developer. I do agree, even though, and this is still something that, that's hard to solve by today's standards in order to move fast. Whenever I, I want to you know, create a prototype or something really, really small, and I'm a developer myself, right? I can just sit down and I already understand what's minimum and what's quick to do versus when you first need a back and forth between two different people who, well, from the business side, it's a minimum viable product. But like from the tech side, it's the minimum easiest viable product. 
they may be two different things, right? A minimum viable product may actually be harder to do than one that just cuts one more feature that for some reason is so hard to do, but nobody actually thought about it on the business side, right? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. When I think about your business, and I, I want to dive more into the mechanics of it, if that's okay with you. Oh, sure. It looks like it's a constant hustle. Like you, you've kind of said in the in the document you sent over that you want to focus more on lifestyle entrepreneurship. But in the act of always selling and always coordinating, isn't it like almost the opposite of a lifestyle business when you're always hustling to get clients? I don't personally coordinate much, at least anymore especially the projects. We, we don't coordinate the projects. We hand that over to, to people who can do that. So we don't actually do it. On the matching side, we have in-depth calls with every client. So yes, I'm still involved with every single client and I am not looking to get rid of that, unfortunately. I mean, personally, I would prefer not to be involved in everything and every single client, but uh, I think it does add to the client value. But in the end, these are mostly just two calls that I have with every client to really understand what they need, to really understand their motivations. Actually, it's not much of sales these days anymore because I'm more in a consultant role of understanding what people need and then matching it to the right team. And then they hand their sales team essentially takes over. And most of my work is, is done by my two assistants. So I can focus on, on marketing or I'm uh, writing yet another ebook right now and these kinds of things. But yes, definitely, it is hustle. There's networking involved. Although I tried kind of aligning work and life. So for example, just one month ago, I returned from a one-year trip uh, as being a digital nomad. But I didn't go to, to Bali or to the Philippines or to Thailand. Why is that? Because I wanted to align my business and my, my travel life. Travel is a hobby, but where did I go? I mostly went to places where my clients are. And that wasn't just super fun, but it was just helpful for the business as well, getting to know people, attending uh, events and networks. So in a way, it is hustle, but I try to make the hustle fun and to to align it with my life somehow, if that makes sense. So when you first started, you probably didn't have any assistance. You were probably just you by yourself trying to figure out how you can get these things connected. Is, is that fair to say? Oh yeah, totally. I was back then still still working at that job that I got and I was just on the side trying to bootstrap this business where whenever once in a blue moon someone would came along and ask me for a recommendation on who they should work with, I would take all the time they needed go to extreme lengths to prepare presentations, to do research. And when my network wasn't so big yet, I would go out and, and hunt for the right team. But that was something I, I could have done in the evenings or whatever. But luckily, the job that I had was very flexible. So my goal from the beginning was, and that was the deal with that company, is I'm not an employee. I, I'm, I'm like a freelancer. I come in to work as a developer into the office, but every week I would let them know how many hours I would actually be in next week so that I could go on conferences or anything. That gave me a substantially lower salary or hourly rate than I would have gotten otherwise by committing more. But this is exactly what I wanted and needed. So what happened is I would, during work, I was physically there as a developer, but then I would in their office go on, on calls with clients or just take a half an hour break or an hour break to answer emails to work on my business. And 
this was something that was fine by them and I wouldn't lock that time, but that definitely helped until I had substantial work. And yes, once I actually had work, it went so fast that I had to hire an assistant pretty quickly, which also I wasn't convinced of right away from the start, but kind of coincidentally it had happened. And and that was actually one of the best decisions that I had made. And during this whole process of building this business, what were some of the things that you felt, man, I don't think I can get past this hurdle? Because in a lot of ways, the business that you're doing, I think, because of the, the initial sort of hustling that you're putting into it, I'm sure when people asked you, hey, what are you doing now? It wasn't easy to say, hey, I'm trying to actually set up like a, a European dev shop or, or or maybe it was, right? But how did you kind of like like answer kind of the, the questions that people were asking? And then how did you kind of still keep that motivation to continue going? In terms of people asking me what my biggest hurdles are? No, in, in, in terms of the idea that this business, because it takes up so much hustle, you probably must have thought to yourself at some point, you know what, I can probably go off and work for a consultancy myself and make a lot of money. I could probably go off and um, do my MBA or, or do something else or maybe go back into coding and probably make a lot of money. But I'm not going to do it. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm going to go off and keep hustling. And I'm sure when people came to you and they said, Victor, you're a very smart guy. You can do whatever you want to. Why did you continue with doing what you're doing? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that was true. That was actually why why I ended up quitting the first business, even though I was doing basically the same thing. First, I was doing sales for my own dev shop, and then I was trying to bootstrap essentially a sales company for dev shops. So it was essentially the same thing, but I had to stop also, not just because I saw I could make more money somewhere else, but at that point I had to. But always even then i didn't sign normal work contract employment contract i've always been kind of on the edge i wanted to start my own thing again and that's why i negotiated my work contract to be so flexible and what kept me going was that i didn't see that whatever i was doing was kind of it it was working i just needed to figure out how to do it better and how to scale it. In my opinion, if you do something that has a positive expected result, if you do it over and over again, the result will come. It's just important, and that's the thing that that I learned from sales as well, is you cannot expect every lead or every deal to close. But if you do enough of things that have an on average, it's like game theory, it's like it's like going to the casino. Do you expect every single you know, game to win. No, obviously not. But if you play a game, and obviously you don't have these at casinos really, but if you play a game that's, you know, the sum expectation is positive. If you play enough of those games, at some point you will succeed. And then it's just about increasing your probability, right? So working on your technique or working on, you know, whatever that will increase the probability of succeeding every time. But generally, if you do something that that has an expected positive outcome, it's with anything, it's with applying for jobs, it's with, you know, finding friends. Do you expect you, the first person you shake hands with to become your best friend ever? Of course not. But if you do something and that is meeting people that has a positive expected result of, of them becoming your friend, then uh, you will succeed and then you can just increase the probability of it. Gotcha. And do you ever turn down clients? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. That is less now because I used to work for my own firm. And when you have your own dev shop, you're obviously specialized. And then it's actually good to turn down clients because they're not a good fit for you, right? And you would not you wouldn't make yourself neither them happy 
to work together. But now since I, I'm in a matching business, for most people who come to me, I will know developer, dev shop, freelancer, whatever, who actually will be a good fit for them. But of course it happens when people don't really understand what they want and have no concrete plans whatsoever, or the budget just is no fit at all for, for what they're trying to do, then I have to turn them down. Yeah, I think with your point, I guess, yeah, you got to be a bit strict in terms of who you want to work with and who you don't want to work with. So that's, again, I think that's quite, it's a strong thing to do, really. You, you got to do that. Just one thing that I was just thinking about when you were sharing your expertise, et cetera, just going back to you, really, you know, what was your reason for going down the entrepreneur path, essentially? I mean, for us, it's because, you know, we hate process, you know, and, and the whole thing of working for somebody else, making the corporate, you know, working for big corporations, et cetera, it just doesn't fit in with us. But what was, yeah, what was your main reason? It's funny how you said you hate process. I love process. And it's actually one of the reasons why, why I started going down the entrepreneurial path, as you call it. Because for me, being an entrepreneur is the only way to reap the benefits of working smarter, not harder when I, when I'm an employee and I work smarter and I do something better and quicker, I'll still end up working my eight hour day and my salary may increase by 10%, 15%, 20%, maybe even 10% every year, but it's not an exponential an exponential result that's directly related to my effort or to the systems that I build or learn. And that's why I love process, because as an entrepreneur, I can just figure things out, pour them into process and, and hand them off to someone else. And I guess really process is something that you can never, you need process, right? That's what we're saying. You need process regardless and don't hate process, embrace process. Absolutely. It's a tool. Absolutely. Because you're trying to build a machine and a machine needs needs to run a similar expectable way and in an expected way, turn turn whatever input into whatever output and uh, it needs to be consistent and it needs to deliver quality. So uh, at least for me, and I know that there's lots of different opinions and viewpoints, and but for me, process is, is an enabler, is, is a lifeblood of, of a business, well, apart from money probably, but money and process and uh, good customer insight is probably what makes a really good business. Let me put you on the spot there. Sorry, sorry, Ali. Let me just put you on the spot there. What does, pro <laughs> yeah. what does process look like for you? So I have, uh, basically we have a wiki and everything. Let me, let me open that, that right up uh, on the side here. <laughs> and there's about 30 wiki pages we're, we're three people right there's about 30 wiki pages of process all the sales pipeline every single step and that does not mean that that you can divert from it by no means all my staff where i say all i mean both <laughs> they know exactly that if they think in an individual situation they should divert from the process that's totally fine or or if they don't follow it absolutely that's totally fine the outcome is what counts but in order to deliver consistent value and they if they forget about a certain step they can always go back to the wiki and see what's expected what the goal is uh, what the reason for a certain process is even so that being goal driven you just uh, don't just follow uh, steps but you understand what the goal is which is why you maybe can divert so we have everything here from accounting to writing invoices to a language guide on to write emails so that they they sound consistent we we have all of that 
the whole point of a startup is to identify clear, open opportunity. And then as you're building a business, then to create processes to make that business work. And I think that's kind of what the what your wiki has done. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it helps people identify opportunities. It also elaborates why they're doing certain things. That's very important. I think some people see process just as give people steps and, well, the dumbest person can execute them now. No, it's, it's important to help them understand why they're doing it and thus enable them to think on their own. I do believe that process also does that by being clear about what the goal is supposed to be. Because like, let's, let's imagine there's no process and I would say, oh, I just want to close these sales and now I let everyone be so creative as to do it on their own. They may not understand or forget the goal about certain steps and, and just not do them or do them totally differently. And it wouldn't be consistent in the outcome. Yeah, that is true. That is very, very true. When you look at the business that you've built, and feel free to be honest here, but do you ever um, do you ever kind of think, you know what, I've got all these great startups and I've got all these all this access to great tech talent. Why don't I just build products that are not copies or clones? I'm not talking rocket internet here, but um, products that might be adjacent to or help out some of the problems I've seen and, and yeah, potentially make some money out of those products. Well, of course. Yeah, totally. I've been thinking about that for for a long time, but then again, I have to be honest to myself as well. I've become really good at high-touch sales, which doesn't make me necessarily good at, at low-touch sales, which is important when you build like products, especially small products, SaaS products. We're working on a SaaS product right now, as a matter of fact, but I want this to be a, a very, um, how, would I, how would I say it, conscious decision that I make to start one of those businesses because as... I guess every other developer. I also have a few side projects in my basement just went nowhere because you're, you're bored in a weekend, you fire up your code editor and you have that great idea and you write a SaaS because you believe that this is a problem you want to solve. And guess what? You launch it and it's just nothing happening. So I think it's not that easy, especially since building a product in my mind is, is the easier part than, than validating a market, than, than selling it. So Access to tech talent is cool and great and good and all, but more important problem is, do I really have a market? Do I have a problem that's that's worth solving? And I don't currently have the time to really validate these. And then from that point, you know, what's one thing that, you know, you'd have loved to pursue that you didn't? And yes, no, I understand in terms of, yeah, you, you don't have time to validate any other ideas, et cetera. But what was one thing that you'd, you'd have loved to do? Probably... I don't know if this is true. If someone in the audience has that experience or a different experience, I would be really interested to know because I've never, uh, lots of startups kind of start in a super corporate environment where people become highly paid consultants first and then get a huge network with access to all these all these high value people and get connections to enterprise environments and VCs and, and big tech firms. I've never invested in a consultant career myself before becoming an entrepreneur. So sometimes I think, what if I had done that? Would that open certain doors right now for me? Or maybe would that just delay me by 10 years? And, and that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe someone, someone can answer that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. No. Yeah. We're coming pretty close to the end of this. I personally only have two questions left. And one of them is kind of the obvious question. What advice would you have for, I guess, someone like Upili and myself who are just gunning to, to do something big? 
but also just for the audience who are probably similar to us in that same concept. One important thing that definitely helped me identify my business is first working all the possible positions there were, right? I went from developer to project manager to salesperson. I was running an Eastern European agency myself. Then I had the client side as well because I outsourced a few projects myself too. So I, I literally understood all the positions that you could possibly have. Think back, I guess, to the beginnings of trust shoring or the beginnings of like one of the initial ideas you worked on. And maybe, you know, what were some things that you faced that you were like, man, I really wish that there was a way around it. I really wish that my future self would come in and tell me what's going on. To be really honest, I probably think that these lessons, most of them have to be learned. I probably wouldn't have bought any of my future self uh, had told me. So many of these lessons, you, you just have to learn. You have to fall in a ditch and painfully get up. And in the end, building systems, working smarter, not harder, working in the trenches, staying flexible and always understanding what it is that you want out of it and not what you can give to the idea. And then repeating things that, that have a positive expected outcome. If I had known these things early on, would have definitely been there, there faster, as well as tweaking value propositions and, and your positioning. I never understood that really until trust showing kind of took off because it took off not because I tried a different model, as I said before, I was selling web development services before and I'm selling web development services now. It's just that I completely repositioned myself and it really, all it took was a different value proposition, which was from buy from me as a vendor, since there was a lot of distrust in the market. People are looking for developers and for tech teams, but the problem was not to find developers and tech teams. Everybody was getting and is still getting on a daily basis emails from, from in spam, from, from developers, from Eastern Europe, from China, from India, offering their services. So it's not that they cannot find developers. It's just that there is a huge distrust in the market. So what did people really want? What they really wanted is a trusted service to guide them to find vendors who are actually working out and who are a good fit for them. Uh, realizing that and just repositioning myself to offer precisely that instead of offering development services is what made all the difference. So if I were told in the beginning to look at exactly that value proposition, which probably someone did, I just didn't understand it. That made all the difference. In the I end. think that's pretty inspirational, man. It's pretty inspirational. Good answer. <laughs> Yeah, solid ending. Solid, solid ending to this. I'm not even going to ask you my second question because I don't know how you top that. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, oh, really. No, I think that's a, that's a really good ending, really. Uh, Victor, it's been an honor to be honest with you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, hear about any experiences or not, or have any questions about you know tech or, or development or outsourcing. Perfect, man. Victor, thanks for everything. Yeah. <laughs>